Well, we're in a season called Lent, and we prepare ourselves in this season for Easter. We do that through prayer. We do that through fasting. We do that through repentance and self-denial. Our goal is to reflect on the life of Jesus, uh, his suffering, his sacrifice, and his death. And the goal is that we want to become like Jesus. Uh, Daunting, isn't it? So can I ever live the life that Jesus modeled or the life that he taught me to live? And when we begin to look at different aspects of life, it really becomes challenging, like relationships. And so, how did Jesus live in relationship to other people, and how did he teach us to live in relationship to other people? And so when I think about all of Jesus' teachings about that, I think this would be um, a place in our lives when we say, Rick, to, to live the way that Jesus wants me to, it takes a lot of faith. In fact, we've been talking about audacious faith to step out into that life that he calls us to. So in relationships, I think we think like this, and this is not audacious faith, this is wavering faith that says, what if I love somebody else like I love myself? And what if I forgive them? And what if I turn the other cheek? And what if I go the extra mile? And what if I put their interest above my own, but the other person does not do that in return? See, that, that is not audacious faith, that's wavering faith. Audacious faith says that I believe God, I trust him, I trust his word, and I'm going to live my life in relationship with other people, how he calls me to, and I'm not going to worry about how I get treated in return. I'm just going to trust God and do it God's way. Now, I think the one area that that is probably the most difficult is in our married lives. So we've had an incredible Weekend, 400 people gathered in this room Friday night, all day Saturday to focus on working on their marriages. It was just awesome. In one of the sessions, Annette and I were sitting right here, and one of the speakers said, turn to your spouse, and he said, just ask your spouse, who do you think we're becoming? What do you think we're becoming? And so I looked over at Annette, and Annette was looking at me, and she said, who are we becoming, Rick? And I thought for a minute, and I said, old people. And Annette shook her head and grinned, and she said, I agree, we're becoming old people. I I pray that in our relationship with each other, though, that we are becoming more like Jesus. So marriage is just challenging. I remember, you know, years ago, my girls were little, and I came home from work one day, just kind of running in at the last minute, actually maybe a little bit late because we were supposed to hop in the car and head over to our friends, Jim and Liz Fitzgerald, who have now moved to Oklahoma City and attend this church, but they lived in Fairview, Tennessee. We lived in Columbia, Tennessee, and we were headed to their house for dinner. And Annette says to me when I get in the door, okay, I think everything's ready. I've packed for the girls. I've packed for me. I've packed for you. We got to get in the car now because we're going to be late if we don't leave right now. It's 45 minutes over there. And I said, what do you mean packed? And she said, we're spending the night. And I said, I think that's weird. And she said, well, if you thought it was weird, you should have said something about it. We planned this for over a month. You should have said something about it before the day that we were gone. I said, I don't want to spend the night. I just think it's weird. She goes, Jeffrey and Julie are spending the night. Michael and Sarah are spending the night. Steve and Stephanie are spending the night. We're all spending the night. Just spend the night. And so for the next 45 minutes driving to their home, I filled that entire 45 minutes with me complaining about spending the night because I thought it was weird. And so here's my wife who has been with the girls all day long, tried to get herself ready, get her packed, the girls packed, me packed, and now all she's got to do for the next 45 minutes is just listen to me complain. 
So when we finally get to their house, we're getting out of the car. I'm getting the girls out of the car, but I realize as we're getting out of the car, Annette is actually getting back in the car on the driver's side. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going for a drive. I said, going for a drive? Why would you go for a drive? She said, because I am in no condition to go in and face people right now after what I've experienced the last 45 minutes. At that moment, my heart became very tender, and I said, but baby, I'm sorry then, and you don't want to send me in this house by myself. That is going to be so hard for me to face these people without you. She said, I'm not the one who chose to complain for the last 45 minutes. I'm sorry, but I'm driving away, and away she drove. And so now i got to walk in the house, and all my friends are there, and they go, where's Annette? And I go, she went for a drive, you know? <laughs> and finally, somebody looks at me and says, what's up? And so I had to explain to them what had happened, and I said, I think I blew it. Here's what the truth is. They all agreed with me. They said, yeah, you blew it. You're stupid. You shouldn't do this. And so finally, I said to one of my friends, Michael, I said, Michael, would you take me in your car to see if we can find her? And so we got in his car, and it's a little small community, and there's only one strip. And so sure enough, she was sitting in the parking lot of a grocery store called Piggly Wiggly. I'm not making that one up either. And so I rolled up my window, and I said to her, I said, do you, do you mind if I get in the car with you? And she said, if you get in the car with me, are you going to behave? <laughs> and I said, yes. She said, well, then you can get in the car with me. And so I got in the car with her. Michael drove back to the house, and we sat there in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly, and I apologized all over myself. And we went back to their house, and we spent the night. And it was weird. Yesterday I was here and we were talking on breaks with lots of couples and, and uh, if we do it next year, which I think we are doing it next year, you, you've got to come and you've got to bring every married couple that you know with you. And somebody says to me while we were eating lunch, what, what, what are the top issues that you, you know, deal with when people come to you as a pastor to talk about marriage? And I said, well, actually there's five and I'm going to share them tomorrow, so I'll give them to you now. And so I said, the first thing probably that comes up more than any other with every couple is money. So every married couple in the room, have you ever had a heated discussion about money? If so, raise your hand really high. Just get it up there strong, okay? Really, you guys have never had one heated discussion about marriage. I'm just not going to buy that one, all right? Uh, a lot of people say money is a, intimacy is a tough one. I think one of the reasons we struggle in relationship, the marriage relationship with intimacy is because us men just don't have it figured out yet. And we haven't figured out that if we want physical intimacy, emotional intimacy is very important to our wives before the physical is really going to happen well. How about in-laws? Can I get a witness in the house? In-laws can be a problem or a challenge in marriage. Anybody in the room? Did you know that my wife, Annette, and I, we have been married for 34 years. Our kids are raised and gone. And the point of tension in our marriage that we still struggle with is about parenting adult children. We still have tension in conversations about our kids. And then communication is always going to be a challenge in any relationship, but especially in the relationship of marriage. So I've come to learn something through the last few weeks that I've been focusing on these marriage seminars, and that is this, that, that in regard to all of these challenges that we face in marriage, people have not given up the dream of having a great marriage. They've just given up hope. They dream about it, 
They're just not convinced it can happen for them. Too much has been said. Too many ruts we've kind of dug into. Too many fights along the way. Too many disappointments. And I just don't see it ever getting better. The truth is, there's a solution. And we've talked about the solution a lot over this past weekend. But the solution is simply this. What if I surrender, like Jesus in the season of Lent, what if I surrender control of my life? Now, this takes a lot of faith, okay? Because Jesus went to the cross believing there was going to be a resurrection. Think about this. It takes a lot of faith to do this. But what if I surrender all the controls of my life to God? What if I even, consider, what if I even surrender the relationships in my life to God and do them God's way. Listen to this, okay? What if I even surrender the way that I do my marriage to God? And here's a quote, and, and I've been asking myself, do I believe it, okay? If you do marriage God's way, you have a 100% chance of succeeding, I mean, if you believe this, if you bind to this, these are incredible odds. You can't get the odds like this anywhere in regard to anything. If you do marriage God's way, if I will love her as I love myself, if I will turn the other cheek, if I will go the extra mile, if I will put her interest above my own, if I will forgive, if I will do marriage God's way, and I'm only giving you a few verses of Scripture, we're going to dive into a, in a minute to another passage. But if I do marriage God's way, I believe this, I have a 100% chance of succeeding. So what I want to do is go this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 29. I'm coming back to a passage we visited probably less than a year ago, but it is rich and it is full for us today. Now, you may be here saying, Rick, I'm not married. And what I'm coming to realize is that uh, I think I've got 30 minutes to listen to you talk about marriage. And so I don't want to do that to you. I want to say this clearly to you. That the principles we're going to talk about, even the passage of Scripture that we're talking about, applies to every relationship in your life. And so what I want you to do is focus on a, mar on, a, on a relationship, rather, that you really need to see improvement in. And I want you to just come with us the whole way. I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm not going to leave you out. It just so happens that most of us who are married believe that the relationship we need to see improvement in the most is probably our marriage. And so let's dig into God's Word. Paul has been knee-deep, I mean knee-deep in theology. He's been there the entire preceding paragraph. Knee-deep in theology, he talks about putting off the old self. It's like taking off a garment and throwing it to the side with all of its wrong and deceitful and evil desires. All the things that I have lusted and longed for with my eyes and with my heart. And he says, you take it off and you throw it to the side and you put on your new self that is righteousness and holiness in Christ. And then he begins to talk about what that looks like in everyday life. He moves from theology to practice. And here's what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The, the word that he uses for unwholesome is a word that we would use for something that is spoiled or rotten. When something is spoiled or rotten, it begins to stink. 
So no more stinking talk, okay? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now the reason we're still on these two verses is because I want you to apply this to a particular person in your life. If you're married, you might want to apply it to your spouse. If you're not married and there is a relationship that you want to improve in, you might apply it there. So I'm going to do it for me to show you what I'm talking about. Okay, here we go. Rick Harvey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth when you talk to Annette. But only what is helpful to build Annette up according to Annette's needs, that it might benefit Annette. You with me? So I want you to do that with that person that you're thinking about. Let's look at the next two verses. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. This is proof that you belong to God, that the Holy Spirit is in you for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander. Rick Harvey, get rid of all bitterness toward Annette. You know, in marriages, we can hold on to some bitterness. Get rid of your rage. Get rid of your anger with Annette. Brawling is another word for fighting. Don't be fighting with Annette. Don't slander Annette. Look at the next few verses. Along with every form of malice, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore. Get rid of your malice with Annette. You ever had a spouse say to you, if you intended to hurt me, then you succeeded because that hurt. If your goal is to hurt me, if it was malice, you, you achieved your goal, you hurt me. So if I don't live that way, how should I live? Be kind to Annette. Be compassionate with Annette. Forgive Annette. I mean, think, Rick, about how God's forgiven you for a lot worse stuff. And you're telling me you're struggling to forgive her when God's forgiven you for so much more? And look at the last two verses. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant rather, offering and sacrifice to God. So in this season of Lent, seek to be more like Jesus. Reflect on his life. Live as Jesus lived in your relationships with one another. This is the point. He's saying, you've been raised to this new life. You're followers of Jesus. And now you live differently, even in your relationships, even in your marriage. We're not like everybody else in this world any longer. We're different. And it starts at home. I've always believed if I can live this life with my wife, I can live this life with anybody. If I can get it right at home, I can get it right anywhere. And you start this at home. Uh, Nat and I took a personality profile a few years ago. And I'm, I'd like to apologize to you in advance, Annette, for being the brunt of all of my stories today. But we took a personality profile. 
And, uh, and, and it was really helpful for me because as I'm reading Annette's profile, uh, it's just like lights are coming on, you know. And, and I remember at one point saying to her, so, so this, is, this is really you, isn't it? I mean, this, this describes you, does, doesn't it? I, w- would you say you're really this way? And I remember Annette just looking at me and saying, Rick Harvey, we have been married for 30 years, and you don't know me? Well, well, the truth is that I probably don't even to this day know her as I should. I, I, I realized something in that conversation. I realized that you can, you, can, you can share a house together, and you can share kids together, and you can share a checkbook together, and you can even share a bedroom together. And not really know each other as well as you should know each other. I still discover things about Annette. And one of the reasons that we don't know each other as well as we need to know each other is because communication is a challenge in marriage. We've already established that. I mean, it's just, just, just for, for most of us, we would say this is a, this is a place in my life where I, you know, I need to get better. One of the reasons we don't communicate well is because we're so different in how we communicate. I'm a typical man. Uh, you know, male, if you just give me the bottom line, that's all I need. I don't need a lot of details. I don't need you to fill in a lot of the story. Uh, just how much did it cost? Can you just answer the question, you know? Um, are we going or not? I, I just want to know. Give me the bottom line. And Annette is, is a typical female in that regard. She's wanting to know the whole story and give me the details and let's talk it through. And I just want to hear about everything. You know, just don't leave anything out. And, and, and so it, 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 it's challenging. I, I'm typical, I think, also in the fact that emotionally I can be a little bit uh, modest. And, and preaching, I don't get sometimes to be modest emotionally. But, but women are kind of the opposite. Emotionally, they're a little bit immodest. It amazes me. The details about our life that my wife is l- willing to tell complete strangers in a grocery store, you know? I'm just over there blushing. Th- th- there is a truth here. And the truth is, wives, that if, if you want your husband to open up, don't tell everybody what he said. Because he'll quit trusting you. And, and he'll quit opening up. It's, it's just the way we are. We, we don't want everybody to know what we're feeling. So in regard to feelings and communication, have you ever seen this? It's, it's Moravian's idea about elements in personal communication and how important words are and how important voice and tone are and how important body language is. Now, when you look at this, I don't want to offend any communications person in the room because this does not apply to all conversations. This applies to conversations where we are talking about our feelings and our attitudes, okay? So when Annette and I are in a conversation and we're talking about feelings and attitudes, you know, don't put all the weight on what I say. It's only going to, you know, make up for about 7%. What's really going to come into play is my voice and tone, and what's really going to come into play is my body language. And so when Annette and I are having a conversation, and I say to Annette, I say, Annette, what's wrong? And if Annette says to me, nothing is wrong. See, that actually means something is wrong, and I should be very concerned. Yeah. 
Or, or if Annette says to me, uh, just go ahead. See, that's not permission. Don't fall for that one. That means don't you even dare thinking about doing something like that. Or if Annette says to me, wow, that is not a compliment. That's not meaning she's impressed. That, that means she is thinking to herself, how could one individual be so clueless? And so the, the, the language that we use to talk about this kind of communication, especially in, in marriage, is it's not what you said, it's how you said it. If I've heard that once in my marriage, I've heard it a thousand times, you know. So, so you may be sitting there saying, Rick, why are you up there kind of freewheeling, talking about communication? Because that's where Paul starts. Paul starts by talking about communication. He begins by talking about how we talk to each other. And he says, when you communicate with each other in this close relationship that you have, or maybe it's in this relationship that you're wanting to improve in, he says, whatever you do, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't belittle one another with your words. Don't speak harshly to one another with your words. Don't be sarcastic and smart with your words. Don't cut each other with your words. And you say to Paul, then what are we supposed to do with our words? And he says, I want you to build one another up with your words. And so everybody in the room knows that you have the ability to build up with words and you have the ability to tear down with words. And so we were in a sermon series a while back, and we talked about affirmation, and we admitted to one another that we thirst for affirmation. It is essential to us. It is vital to our sense of well-being. And God calls us in His Word to build our spouses up with our words. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who on earth, who do you know on earth who could better do this for your spouse than you? And for most of us, the answer is nobody. There is nobody in the world who has the power to build my spouse up with words than I do. I can probably do this better than anybody else in the world. And then it brings, to a point, brings us to a point of searching our hearts and asking the question, so the words that my spouse hears coming out of my mouth, are they encouraging words? Are they words where I build my spouse up? Are they, wor are, are they words of affirmation? Or am I so focused on the negative that what my spouse hears coming out of my mouth mostly is kind of tearing down? Negativity. See, see, there's somebody in the room right now saying, okay, I've had enough. You know, uncle, I'm tapping out, let me up. I've heard enough. That, that one little line by Paul, no unwholesome talk, but only build the other person up. That's enough, I got it. My spouse hears way too much negative coming out of my mouth. And I'm probably the one person in the world who has the power to really build them up with words. And I'm blowing it. So here's some good news. This whole idea about you surrendering to become more like Jesus, surrendering control of your relationships, surrendering control of the way you function in marriage, 
Paul does not haphazardly mention the Holy Spirit in this passage. I mean, this is big stuff. The Holy Spirit is going to help you. And it's only because of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get any better. It's only because of what God's doing in your heart that you're going to make any improvement at all in this attempt to be a better spouse. But Paul says this, when you hurt the other person with your words, do you know what it does to the Holy Spirit? It grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go do a graveside service after this service this morning. And there are going to be people standing in a cemetery and their hearts are going to be full of grief because they've lost someone. And the Bible says that when you cut other people down with your words, that the Holy Spirit stands as someone would at a graveside and grieves. Because we are losing something we were never supposed to have lost. So there's a guy who I was reading recently, and he, and he was talking about his marriage. And he said, you know, in so much of my marriage, we, we have just fought. Uh, we, we, we've just been fighters, you know, uh, arguments. And, and, and I couldn't just let the argument go, and I got to prove my point, and I got to somehow win the argument. And I just, you know, go after it with everything I've got. And he said, when I look back over these years of just fighting with my wife and fighting with my wife, he said, I think I'm a pretty good arguer. In fact, I think I'm pretty convincing. In fact, I think I'm great at it. In fact, I think I won most every one of those arguments that we ever had. What I didn't know, he said, was that while I was winning all of those arguments, I was losing my wife's heart. And so here's what Paul says. It's like something that you would, you would wear, like a garment or something you would put on. He said, we come into our relationships, and sometimes we have things like bitterness. I mean, there might be somebody listening saying, Rick, I'm bitter. I'll be honest with you. In my marriage, I'm just bitter. There's been a lot of stuff, and I'm just, I'm just, my spouse knows that I'm bitter. And there's anger, and we fight some. And sometimes I do try to hurt. So here's, here's what I think. I think that there are many people in the room who would say, you know what, I, I wear this badge of Christian. I mean, my, my life is the Christian life. I go to a Christian church. I identify myself as a Christian. I go to Christian Bible studies. I listen to Christian music. I go to Christian conferences. I have Christian friends. I mean, I'm just Christian everywhere except in my marriage. And in my marriage, I live as if Jesus hasn't done anything for me. In my marriage, I lived as if I have not been raised to this new life in Christ. I am living a pre-resurrection marriage in a post-resurrection world. And Paul says, get rid of it. What? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Take it off like an old garment and just... Cast it to the side. And so if I'm going to get rid of it, then what do I put on? And Paul says, put on kindness. Annette and I had this season in our marriage where that we could say to the other person, are you being kind to me? And that was a code word that said the other person could not speak for one minute. 
She would do that to me, and I would think, oh, I can't believe she just did that to me. For one minute, I had to think about it. Pray about it. And most every time that we used that code word, after a minute, the other one would come back and say, I can see where that sounded unkind. Put on compassion. I've probably never told you guys, but I broke my leg a couple of years ago. Did you know that my wife, Annette, overwhelmed me with her compassion? It's what you feel when somebody's suffering and the desire to help them. I experienced immense compassion. And forgive. Think about God's forgiven you for so much worse. Forgive. So last night, we left the church for a dinner break. We've been focusing on marriage. We've been feeling close. We've been holding hands. We've been feeling all in love. And somehow we got into an unexpected situation. And it was stressful. And we began to have words with each other that weren't what we're talking about today. And finally, Annette just says, Do you know what I think we should have done in this situation? I, I don't think we should have said this. I think we should have said this. And I said to her, it's like we have a choice here, right? We can say, well, boy, a lot of good a marriage conference did us. I mean, look at us right now. It's, the whole thing's just blown. Just forget it. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Just do your thing. I'll do mine. We, we didn't go there. We said, you know what? We, we know what to do. We know we know the tools. They're in the Scripture. It's just this stuff right here. It's just these, these simple words. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to bring this in. And we just worked our way through it. I felt like the enemy was like, stink, man. I thought I had him. Rick was going to preach on marriage in the morning. I thought, I'll just take him out. The whole church will see he's discouraged. God says, no. If, if you will follow my plan for marriage, you have a 100% chance of succeeding. If you will apply my truths, my principles, you can trust me, and your marriage will win. Amen. Lord, bless us, I pray. In any relationship that we're struggling with, and bless, Father, I pray, marriages today. In Jesus' name, amen.